It's so tempting to say good morning, but it's evening. It's so weird being here at this time when I'm used to being here on, on Sunday morning. But welcome. You know, today is a, is a really special day for us. It's a day that we remember the most talked about execution in all of history. It's a day that we remember what Jesus did for us on that cross, exchanging his life for ours and paying our debt. So it, it's a really special day for us. And as I was preparing for the message, I was, um, you know, this was a couple of weeks ago, I, I was thinking about what is it that, that we could look at? What is it that, I, that, that you want me to share, God, with your people? And I kind of hit this roadblock. And whenever I hit a roadblock like that, when I can't think of, you know, what to do for, for a Wednesday night or for Sunday morning or something, I usually go on a mountain bike ride because that's where I tend to think the most is on my mountain bike. So that's what I did a couple weeks ago. I hopped on my bike and I went to... Um, I can't tell you where it is. It's my secret location, but it's this, it's this awesome lookout up in the mountains that uh, it, it overlooks all of Prescott. You can see all the, the landmarks that Prescott's known for, Thumb Butte and Granite Mountain over off into the Dells and Pea Mountain and way off into Mingus Mountain. And, uh, you know, you can see the high school and the hospital and all these different places. And I was just thinking uh, back on my life and, and even on my childhood growing up here in Prescott, and just just kind of reminiscing about what God has brought me through in, in the past 20, almost 28 years of my life. And, um, you know, specifically what he has done in the past nine or so years um, since coming to know him. And as I was up there on that mountaintop, you know, I was reflecting uh, back to a specific day when um, I remember, you know, I was, I was a little kid. And some of you guys know my testimony. I was kind of a vandal. And I used to actually vandalize the building, the Rosser campus that I now work at. And it's funny now. It wasn't funny back then. But I, I was just, I was reminiscing about how God had brought me from a place of, you know, of vandalism to, to salvation. And I was thinking about um, how he used the death of my dad and the love that Katie and her family showed me to really draw me to himself and, and as I was up there on that mountaintop, just, just thinking about this, I started to get a little teary-eyed. I'm like, man, God, you are so good, and I thank you for, for changing my life. And that's what I kind of landed on, this idea that the cross is the beginning of change for us. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, uh, I remembered this specific character that, that we often look at during this time of year. And we don't even know this man's name Rather, we identify him and we recognize him only by his crime. Most people refer to him today as the thief on the cross. And that's who we're going to look at today. And we're going to see today that the cross was the beginning of change for this man. And the cross is the beginning of change for us as well. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 here today. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open and get there. Um, if you don't have your Bibles or if you had a long day at work and you're feeling kind of lazy and you don't want to open your Bible, we have you covered. It's in your bulletin as well as on this screen so you can follow along with us as we get there in just a moment. And I know most of us are familiar with this passage. Um, you know, most of us have, uh, who are here today have either grown up in the church or have gone to enough Good Friday services to where, you know, we kind of have this passage down pat. But in case there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know this or that isn't familiar with this, I just want to give a, a really quick recap of what's taking place because we're going to jump into the middle of the story, and I want to kind of set it up so that we're all on the same page. We know that Jesus ministered in the area that he lived for about three years, 
uh, performing all sorts of miracles, giving sight to the blind, healing people of leprosy, uh, forgiving sins, raising dead people to life. And in every miracle that he performed, he was showing us this, just a little glimpse of what heaven's going to look like when sin is wiped away. And every miracle he demonstrated who he really was, he was displaying his, his sovereignty over sin and death, his power over sin and death. And, and it's during this time of ministry that he kind of developed this, this, these followers that, that really uh, loved him, that really believed in him, that followed him passionately. And then uh, there was also some people who uh, didn't really follow him, but who hated him. They were the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They, because of their pride, felt threatened by Jesus. So uh, they wanted him dead. They wanted him out of the picture. And they sought every opportunity that they could to arrest him, to try to kill him. But Jesus was able to evade all of those uh, times that they tried to kill him because it wasn't yet his time to die. But then around this time, some 2,000 years ago, according to God's perfect timing and according to his perfect plan, Jesus entered into the last week of his life. And we call that Passion Week or Holy Week. And we started uh, this past Sunday by looking at uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We call that Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on that donkey and the people were waving the palm branches and laying down their coats giving him praise, thinking that he was going to be the king that would save them from Rome. That was Sunday. Then on Monday, Jesus, uh, over, he, he cleanses the temple from the people who really wanted to make money off of God rather than encounter him. Then on Tuesday, he spent the day teaching his disciples. Wednesday was the day that Judas did his dirty work and began planning this betrayal. And then on Thursday, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his followers. Judas carries out his plan to betray, to betray Jesus. And then late Thursday night into Friday morning, that mob comes and arrests Jesus. And then they drag him from official to official until finally he ends up in front of Pilate. And Pilate gives in to the peer pressure of the crowd and he grants their request to crucify Jesus. And then Jesus is beaten, led outside of Jerusalem, and that's where we pick up the story. Jesus is now outside of Jerusalem on that hilltop, getting ready to be crucified. So in Luke chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 32. And Luke says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And I just want to pause just for a second here, because it's absolutely amazing to think that while Jesus is being nailed to the cross, he has so much compassion and mercy and love flowing out of him that he's praying for these men who are nailing him to these planks. Verse 35, And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an, ins an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So we'll pause there just for another moment. You know, crucifixion wasn't only a painful way to die. It was also an extremely shameful way to die. And on the cross, Jesus was getting bombarded with all sorts of insults and shame from the crowds, from the rulers, from the soldiers, and even from the men who were dying the same death that he was. But through all of that, he remained perfectly obedient to the Father and perfectly obedient to his teachings. It's amazing, and and this is, I kind of want to challenge you with something. If you guys have a few minutes tonight or tomorrow, read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and then read the crucifixion account and see just how much of Jesus's teaching he's fulfilling right here in this crucifixion, because it's here that we see Jesus uh, praying for those who are persecuting him. It's here that we see Jesus not repaying evil for evil. He's genuinely loving his enemies. And as he's doing this, people in the crowd are picking up on this. And especially the criminal that's hanging right next to him. He's picking up on this and he's hearing what Jesus is saying. He heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And he sees that Jesus is responding to the circumstances around him much different than anybody else ever could. You know, Jesus prayed for the people that were nailing him on the cross. I'm kind of assuming here, but I think it's safe to assume this. I'm pretty sure that those two criminals, when they were getting nailed to the cross, were probably cursing at the people nailing them to those boards. But he picks up and he sees, man, Jesus is just overflowing with mercy and grace and compassion. There's something different about this man. And he has a change of heart on that cross. And and we read about that change of heart in verse 40. But the other rebuked him. So the one criminal rebuked the other criminal who was insulting Jesus, saying to him, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So he's saying to the other criminal, look, the punishment that we're getting right now, we actually deserve this. But this man in the middle of us, he's done nothing wrong. He's declaring Jesus's innocence right here, and he's declaring his own guilt. And then he goes on, and he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this is where we really hear and see his change of heart. Because God looks at the inside. So Jesus knew that something was going on in his heart already. But then this man verbalizes that change. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Into your kingdom, Jesus. He's recognizing Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's saying, Jesus, when you get into your kingdom, will you remember me? And he knows, Jesus knows the change of heart that has happened in this man. So he says, turns to him and says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. On that cross, this criminal saw who Jesus really was. He understood that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And by faith, he believed that Jesus was the entryway into this kingdom. And on that day, this criminal died with the promise of hope in his heart. 
And for the last 2,000 years and on for eternity, he has been and he will be in the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus made that promise to him and he had the faith to believe that Jesus would actually uphold his promise. And he has. And we know that because Sunday's coming. We're getting there though. You know, this is a powerful testimony. This is something that I'm sure many of us have heard many times. We've heard many sermons preached on this passage, I'm sure. But have you ever stopped to think about this? Because when I was going through this, I'm like, man, this, this is the timing of everything is so awesome. And God is so good. Think about this. That criminal committed a crime on a specific day and was caught. He was then tried and convicted at a specific time. And then... He was sentenced to die at a specific time on a specific day by a specific form of execution. I know there's a lot of specifics there. But what if, what if something changed? What if that man never got caught for that crime? What if his execution date got pushed a day forward or a day backwards? Or what if he was ordered to die by beheading instead of crucifixion? If anything would have changed, he wouldn't have encountered Jesus that day. But God was working behind the scenes this whole time to bring this man into the presence of Jesus so that at just the right time, this man would see and hear the love and the compassion and the mercy that Jesus has on him. And he was bringing him into the presence of Jesus so that at just the right time, this man would surrender his life to Jesus. The cross is the beginning of change for this criminal. The cross is the beginning of change for us as well. And we were talking about this at staff meeting on Monday, and John brought up a really good point. So I'm going to steal this from you. I hope you weren't planning on using this for Sunday or something. But, you know, you, you think, about, th- think about Peter even. All right? Before the cross, Peter was with Jesus. He saw some pretty incredible things. He even did some pretty incredible things. He walked on water. Okay? Peter saw and did some incredible things with Jesus. But on that Thursday night before the cross, we read about Peter. And he was this sword-wielding, ancient, renegade, Rambo-slash-Mike Tyson who lopped the ear off of somebody trying to arrest Jesus. And then only a couple hours later, he completely denies even knowing Jesus when he's confronted by a little peasant girl. Okay, that, that's, that's Peter before the cross and before the resurrection. But then we read about Peter after the cross and after the resurrection. And we see how bold he is. And we see how much uh, he's, he's pe- preaching about peace. And he even writes to the persecuted Christians. And he says this in Second Peter. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay, on that Thursday night before the cross, Peter's conduct among the Gentiles was not honorable. It's not an honorable thing to cut somebody's ear off. That's rude, okay? And, and here's Peter after the cross saying, keep, be so good that, that when other people see you and when other people try to speak evil against you, it won't even stand up. All right, so that's Peter before the cross and after the cross. And I'm sure each one of us, well, I shouldn't assume that, most of us in this room can think back in our lives to a specific time where we, where we just clearly saw God at work, where he was moving and guiding and directing us to be in the presence of Jesus so that at just the right time we would see him for who he truly is. I'm sure if most of us think back, we, we can point out to a specific person 
or to a specific place where, where we say, you know what, that was just God clearly working. For me, it was the day that my dad died. I, can, I mean, it, it, I, I know, you know it, was, it was a result of sin that my dad died. God didn't, you know, kill my dad. It was a result of sin. We all die. But God used that specific day and that specific circumstance to draw me to himself. And, I, and I'm sure most of you guys, if you think back, you know, you have that, that kind of God moment in your life. But I don't want to assume that everybody knows who Jesus is in this room. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this awesome message that Jesus gives. Because if you're here tonight and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, for you tonight is one of those God moments. Because you aren't here by accident. God has you here for a reason, the same way that he had that cross, or that thief on the cross next to Jesus for a reason. God doesn't make accidents. You're here for a purpose, for, excuse me, for a reason. And that reason is to hear the good news that Jesus offers each and every one of us. And the, and the, the good news is that there's freedom from sin. Because the scripture is clear that each one of us in this room have sinned. We've all fallen short of, of God's glory. We've all fallen short of his level of perfection that he requires. I don't think anybody in this room would say, yeah, I'm perfect. We're, we're all not good enough. We're all not perfect. And then the scriptures say that because of our sin, because we've disobeyed God, we've separated ourselves from him. That's the bad news, that our sin, our disobedience against God, separates us from Him. But the good news is that God is loving, that God is merciful, and that God is compassionate, and that He doesn't desire for us to be separated from Him. Rather, He desires for us to be in a right relationship with Him. And He looked down on humanity, and He understood that we could do nothing in and of ourselves to get back to Him can't be good enough, can't go to church enough, can't pay enough money. There's nothing we can do to restore that relationship. So in his love and in his mercy, he reached down into humanity. And he said, you know what? You can't fix it, but I'm willing to. So Jesus is born and he lives that perfect life that we could never live. And then he dies the death that we deserve to pay the debt that we should have, have, to, that we should have to pay. And he takes our sin on himself, on that cross. See, Jesus didn't just die some horrible death that day. He was actually at work taking care of this sin issue. He was building that bridge between us and God so that all who would trust in him would move from death into life, would be forgiven of our sins, and would be welcomed into the kingdom of God. It was on the cross that the sins of the world were poured out on Jesus. And for the first time, Jesus was separated from the Father. And it was on the cross that God's righteous wrath was poured out on Jesus so that it wouldn't have to be poured out on you and I. The scriptures say that he who knew no sin, Jesus who is innocent, just like the criminal declared, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become right in the eyes of God. It's a beautiful, awesome thing that Jesus did. Taking our sin debt, really exchanging his life for ours on that cross. And he says, all who would put their faith in me, all who would just believe in me,
would believe that I really am who I say I am, we'll have eternal life and we'll have forgiveness of sins. So if that's you here tonight, I just encourage you right where you're sitting, just cry out to him with whatever is on your heart. You know if God's working in your heart or not. If he's, if he's tugging at your heart and you realize your need for a savior, just right where you're at, just come before him and say, God, again, it's, there's no magical words that save you. It's, it's an issue of the heart. Just say, God, I believe you are who you really are, Jesus. I believe that you took my, my punishment on yourself. I believe that you made the way back to the Father, and I'm trusting in you. I want to turn from myself, and I want to trust in you, Jesus. Romans uh, 10.9 makes it extremely clear what we can do. Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So I, again, I encourage you tonight, if you've never done that, to do that. Because I've never once met somebody who said, man, I really regret trusting in Jesus. Never met one person like that in my life. All right? But for many of us, you know, we've done that. And tonight is a night that we remember, that we reflect on that great price that Jesus paid for us. And I don't know about you, but I love hearing testimonies of how Jesus changed somebody's life. So um, tonight I thought to, to maybe switch it up a little bit. I'd invite a friend of mine, Maya, if you want to make your way up, who uh, this young lady, has, her name is Maya. She's um, been coming to the youth group for a number of years, two, three, maybe even four years. And it has just been absolutely incredible to watch her grow and to uh, just see God work in her life. And Maya has this really neat testimony of how she was able to uh, love an enemy the same way that Jesus loved uh, the, the people that were nailing him to the cross, uh, she was able to love an enemy. And it's such a powerful testimony. So Maya, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you share uh, the story that you shared with me the other week. Hey, guys. <laughs> um, I've never really done this before. I've never really talked to this many people. So bear with me. Um, I'm probably just going to read it right from here. This is a piece of my testimony, one example of how God has used me, a broken sinner, to show his love for others. I'm a doubting Thomas needing to believe. I'm a perfumed sinner just like Magdalene. I'm Judas kissing on your cheek, eager to deceive. I am all of these. But I've cried, Father, forgive me, and he says, child, I already have. That's a quote from a song called Beautiful Redemption by Joy Williams. I became a Jesus freak at a young age of seven. My mom used to read me devotionals every night, and she would ask me if I wanted to accept God. And even though I knew all of the stories and I knew all the answers, I would always just promptly say no. But one night, something changed in me. The story of Lazarus and how God raised him from the dead just made God's love so alive to me. Um, and ever since that night, God placed a fire um, and a passion and a compassion for others in my heart, which is kind of funny because when I was little, I was like so scared of people and I was like, people would be like, hey, hi, Maya. And I'd like hide behind my mom's legs and I would like cry and I'm like, no, like, I don't like people. So, you know, the cross has a way of changing people. <laughs> um, the story I've been asked to share with you today is one where I really had to learn um, about forgiveness. I had to learn to pray Matthew 6:12, which says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
Um, the last week of my eighth grade year, a couple of girls in my class wouldn't say anything to me. Even at my eighth grade graduation, there was not a word said. And um, as the summer played on, uh, a friend of mine, she started, I guess, cyberbullying me um, on the internet. You know, she would like message me and, and convince me that she was in some terrible situation and then she would laugh at me because I believed her um, and that I was in, I was there for her and she would make fun of my faith, you know, and, um, and then I would like try to block her and she would log into um, other people's Facebooks and she would, you know, get to me through there and she knew, she knows me so well. I've, I've been one of her best friends since first grade, so she knows how to get to me, you know. Um, and so that was really hard and there were a lot of things that I could have done, you know, like I could have brought it to court, like what she was doing was illegal and I had the evidence or um, I could post all that stuff that she said on the internet and watch people get back at her. Or, you know, I even had the thought of, I could kill myself and look what that would do to her life and how it would impact her friends, you know. Um, but that wasn't what I needed to do. Um, and so one day I was out on my porch with my guitar. It's like, one of my favorite ways of spending time with God is just to like worship him with my guitar and just like sing, sing out my heart. So I was just singing my heart to him, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and at that moment I knew, I knew what I needed to do. Um, and that was to, you know, ask God to forgive me was, um, you know, for him to, just take all the unforgiveness in my life away so that I could forgive her. So once I did that, um, I wrote her a letter. And in the letter, even though a lot of people might disagree and say, you know, you're letting her step all over you and all that type of thing, I knew that this was what God needed me to do. It was like, you know, the what would Jesus do, the WWJD, right? <laughs> um, and so I said, you know, that I loved her and that I forgave her in my heart and that no matter what she did, I would always be there for her. Um, I knew that she was going through some like tough st times in her life. Um, and, and so I had to really say that, you know, um, when she found the letter, she read it and she came running to my house. She's like walking distance. Um, she came running to my house, just crying and she hugged me and apologized. Um, and I feel like that is just a perfect picture of, of God's love, you know, of, of him just like writing that story with his hands of love and grace in my life and showing me this is who I am. You know, I will love you no matter what. Cause I mean, all those thoughts in my head that I had you know, thought before just shows that I'm not any better than her. I wasn't any better than anybody who was persecuting me. Um, but I had Jesus. I had a big God. Um, and there were a lot of really cool blessings that God gave me through that time to get through. Um, I had my mom and she would just listen to me and be there for me and help me figure out what I wanted to do. 
Um, I had Joshua Edels, who just was like super encouraging. They're both sitting over there, super awesome people. Just talk to them sometime. Um, <laughs> and um, there were like several songs that God would give me to just push through. There's like a song by um, 10th Avenue North called Losing. And I just wanted to end with the lyrics because it kind of fit perfect. Um, and it says, I can't believe what she said. I can't believe what he did. Oh, don't they know it's wrong? Don't they know it's wrong? Is there something I missed? How could they treat me like this? It's wearing out my heart the way they disregard. This is love. This is hate. We all have a choice to make. Saying, oh, Father, won't you forgive them? For they don't know what they've been doing. So I hope that... Um, you enjoyed that and that God spoke to you <laughs> through that story. This was really totally out of obedience. Um, I was asked to do it and I was like, um, really? I don't even know. What do I even have to offer, you know? And there was like several times where I'm like, no, I, I should just bail. And then I'm like, no, you know, God wants me to be there. So I just have to be willing and go up there and, and he'll work through me, you know, because it's all because of Jesus. When I heard that story for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I was like, man, you got to share that, Maya. Because I know um, when I was 15 going on 16, if somebody did that to me, I would not write an encouraging note to them. I probably would have done something way worse. So my hat goes off to you, Maya, for allowing God to work through you in that situation. And, you know, I think it speaks volumes when we as believers reach out to those people who hate us and who persecute us. And uh, when we reach out to them in love, Man, people noticed that. The crowds noticed it when Jesus reached out in love as he was hanging there on those wooden beams. Uh, this girl noticed it in Maya's life. So I want to encourage and, and challenge each of us, especially this Easter season. If there's somebody in your life, especially an enemy, somebody that, that maybe is persecuting you or who hates you, you know, those people that are really hard to love, I want to encourage and challenge each of us to reach out to somebody uh, this Easter season in love and just be there for them. Maybe there's somebody right now that you're thinking of that, you know, I could really write a note to that person or I can give them a phone call or I can make them an Easter basket and drop it off at their house and I can just do this little act of love. And, and I, I promise you, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to come running to Jesus. You know, I don't know if they will knock the Easter basket out of your hand. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that when we reach out in, in love to these people who persecute us and who love us, things happen and God works through that. So I want to, you know, just take what Maya did and challenge each of us with that because I can think of in my life a, a few people that I really need to reach out to in love and just let God do his thing after that. So, you know, we've talked a lot about change tonight. We looked at how this criminal's life was changed. Uh, we looked at Peter. Uh, Maya shared an awesome testimony of, of how God is continuing to grow and change her. But, you know, none of this change would have happened if Jesus just died on the cross. The reason why this change happened was because of Sunday. It was because when those uh, friends of Jesus went back to the tomb, they found it empty. He wasn't there anymore. He had risen. And it's on Sunday that we celebrate our victorious 
king. And all this change that we've talked about happened because Jesus, when he raised, when he was risen from the dead, proved and validated all of his claims. And it's this coming Sunday that we're going to celebrate our victorious king. So I I pray and I hope that you're able to come here at either 9 o'clock or 1030 and celebrate with us as we remember just how powerful Jesus is. So invite your friends, invite your family members, invite those people who don't know Jesus because I know that they're going to hear the gospel so clear and they're going to have an opportunity to receive Jesus just like this criminal did. So on Sunday, again, I, I pray that you join us here at either 9 or 1030 for that as we celebrate our awesome King. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, now I want to transition into a time of communion as we continue uh, to remember and reflect on that great price that Jesus paid for us. So um, as you, we're going to do things a little bit different than we do on Sundays. You're going to see these three stations um, up front. And Jamie and the band, they're going to come out in just a couple of minutes, and they're going to lead us in two songs. And any time during those two songs, when you're ready, just come forward to one of these stations. And you can either take a piece of bread or uh, some of those crackers, and, uh, and a cup of juice. And you're going to take communion at the stations. And when you get done, you can put your cups in these blue bins. But just on your own time, after really reflecting about or reflecting on what Jesus did for you, that great price that he paid for you, on your own time, you can come, take communion, and then head back to your seat to continue worshiping. And then Jamie will dismiss us at the end. But it was in, you know, Thursday night before the cross that Jesus, along with his disciples, ate their last meal together. And Jesus, during that last meal, Luke says, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant of my blood. So as believers in Christ, we take communion, remembering Jesus' broken body and remembering his blood that was shed on our behalf. So again, during this time that Jamie comes out and leads us in this song, it's just whenever you're ready, you can make your way forward to take communion as we reflect on and remember that great price that Jesus paid for us. And as we remember the change that he has made in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, no one else on that day could see beyond the blood-soaked hilltop to that royal city whose streets are made of gold. And no one else could hear the sound of eternal laughter beyond the cry of pain that day. No one else could look through the shame of nakedness to the honor of kingship. No one except you, Jesus, who, as Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We thank you, Jesus, that you saw beyond Friday and into Sunday. 
that you saw past the death on that cross into the new life that your spirit gives to those who trust in you. Lord, we remember tonight that great price that you paid on our behalf. We remember the change that you've made in our lives. Thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your powerful, precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.